listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since GGTMC, we are back on the air. We are ready to rock and roll. I'm your host, the Samurai, the cross the border from Bukpap Bigwoody. Now, I'm bum 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 through all that. I just let about me t- let I me mean. tell you something, people. My name is Doctor Zom. Yeah. Okay, and I'm not here. Yeah, we uh, we seem to have, we didn't have a technical difficulty this morning. We seem to have had a, a physical difficulty. A, a physical difficulty this morning. <laughs> we haven't heard from Zom, so uh, the show must go on. We've uh, it's 20 minutes after our start time, so. We have to roll. We don't have ba- well. We have backup films, but neither one of us watch the same stuff. So <laughs> yes. uh, there's no way to do that. So we're just gonna have to keep moving, keep rolling. So if he if he pops in, then great. If he doesn't, then uh, we love him anyway. And you know, it shit happens. Yeah, these are the breaks. Correct. Uh, so this week we are covering two picks from Zom. Uh, one is Out of the Blue, which I believe is uh, 1981, maybe? 80 or 81, yeah. Yeah, one of those. 80, I think it's 81. I think. Yeah, 80, maybe. Anyway, um, directed by one Dennis Hopper, and the other is the 317th Platoon, directed by one Pierre Schoendorfer. Schoendorfer. Oh, yeah, Schoendorfer, yeah. Yeah, Schoendorfer, yeah. That's not an easy one to say. Zom, well, ironically, that's why Zom wasn't here this morning. He got tied up playing with his Schorndorfer and <laughs> yeah. lost track of time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, in a, in a weird coincidence, uh, Pierre Schorndorfer's son stars in that TV show, Brock Rockwell or Rocco. No way! <laughs> I fucking keep forgetting to uh, to to snag that. Everybody keeps talking about it, and our boy's been recommended to us, so it's very crazy. Anyway, that's what we are covering. Let's get into what we've been watching. I defer to you. And I defer to the medicine ball for 30 seconds until I can get on it. Um, actually, I can talk about what I watched because my list was so illustrious and so lengthy and girthy that I can recite it off the top of my head. Uh, it's Halloween month. So that means Halloween movies. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to watch some stuff that... I hadn't seen in quite some time, or I had not seen, period. So, actually, no, I did watch a few other things, too. Um, so, as far as what I watched on my own accord, I watched two films. One on Netflix Instant, New Year's Evil, uh, which yeah, is a I slasher guess. starring um, Roz Kelly, of course, Pinky Tuscadero, and uh, who's a little bit tranny-ish, and this is going to... Um, Sound off a little bit trannyish sometimes with too much makeup, but I stuff kind of find her hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I can hear you here. One second. We have a popping, clicking noise on that end too. Oh, it I went away. It went away. What's that? Okay, there we go. Yeah. I know. I'm hearing it again. Mm, okay. Strange. Let me move. I don't know what it is. There we go. On my end, I've moved my my microphone. Does that help? 
No, it's still popping and clicking. I don't know what that is. That's a new noise. Did, no- did, did it just come? Yeah, it just did. It's a new noise. I've never heard it before. <laughs> a new noise. Yes, that's a new one. It, just, um, it sounds like somebody uh, uh, spanking their monkey in the background. Literally, that's what it sounds like. Seriously? Yeah. Can you hear it? Just be quiet just for a second. God, that's irritating. <laughs> yeah. We win. For now. For the moment. For the moment. Uh, I don't know what you'd heard, um, but I had watched two films on my own accord. One was New Year's Evil with Ross Kelly, Pinky Tuscadero, Fonzie's girlfriend. Yes. Uh, have you seen it on Netflix since then? Have you seen this film? Uh, I have, but it's been ages. Yeah. Well, the premise is um, she's sort of like a punk rock new wave version of uh, Laura Charles, yeah. the vanity character. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because in the opening, before she gets shook up by the killer, it, her voice, it almost sounds like a few years later, Vanity took the voice and the way she, she basically the way she spoke, Ross Kelly spoke for the Vanity character on uh, Seventh Heaven and Last Dragon. Oh, yeah. But uh, anyway, so what happens is the killer calls into her show. It's, it's New Year's Eve and the killer says, uh, I'm going to kill someone at uh, when the ball drops in every different time zone. Um, because she does a pre-recorded show, right? So she'll she'll basically do the New Year's countdown four times. So it's uh, it's pretty good, man. It's I was very pleasantly surprised with it. I was a bit worried about some of the American stuff I was going to get into this month. I've seen a lot of it, and <clears throat> although there are some gems out there, I just uh, you know I, thought, oh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I, I quite enjoyed it, man. Nice, it's a nice little twist. It's it's a nice entry into the slasher genre. So if you guys are looking for something fresh. Um, relatively speaking, I would say check that out. And the second thing I watched was, was a real revelation for me, and I, I just I meant to see it forever. And finally, I was like, "Fuck it, I got to see it." And I watched it on YouTube of all things. It's in like ten parts or nine parts, unfortunately, but I wanted to see it, and that was the only way I could at the time. So uh, that was a tourist trap. Ah, yes. This is awesome, man. I uh, I love it. It uh, it's a mannequin mask. <laughs> There's a lot of mannequins. <laughs> makes my fucking skin crawl, but it's got a great performance from Chuck Connors, one of the more memorable ones in the genre. I'm not like top five or anything, but very solid entry as far as the uh, film and then the acting goes. It's kind of, you know, a bit Carrie-esque, a bit Texas Chainsaw, you know, a lot of mannequins, masks. It's, uh, it's very good. I think it loses a little bit of steam. Um... With some of the reveals, you know, but in saying that, I think as a whole package, I really loved it. I'm definitely going to buy it. Nice. Yeah. No, it's a, I like it quite a bit too. Oh man, those fucking masks. I know. It's a creepy movie. (laughs) Um, And then the other two films I watched were rewatches. We wrapped up the Jerry Lewis um retrospective on Monofilm Podcast. So I rewatched The Ladies' Man, which is my favorite Jerry film by far, and The Big Mouth, which is my least favorite Jerry film uh, of all the ones I watched for the, for the program. So um, to hear what I thought about those beyond what I've just revealed, yes. <laughs> uh, you can check out the Monofilm Podcast, which, um, which will be coming in probably the next two to four weeks. Um, once all the editing gets done. So that was my week and yours, sir. 
okay, I watched uh, uh, ESPN's 30 for 30 started again. So, oh, did it? Another yeah, season? Another season of it, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I watched a couple films. Uh, I watched one called Broke. This one... Um, this one's about athletes who, you know, we always hear these stories about how these athletes, you know, make all this money and then, you know, so many of them end up bankrupt, <laughs> you know. But, of course, you know, you have a bunch of people who, you know, who are instant millionaires at sometimes 19 and sometimes 18 years of age. And uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't know a whole lot about the world at 18 or 19. Right. No, and I didn't know a whole lot about money. <laughs> yes. And uh, so this is kind of like some of those stories and stuff. And. Although some of it is uh, just uh, sad because, you know, some of these guys are, you know, good players and stuff. Some of it, obviously, is stupidity as well because, you know, with with youth comes, uh, you know, stupidity. stupidity. <laughs> and that's just the way it goes. And uh, when somebody goes to a club and blows, you know, $45,000 on drinks Jesus. or something like that and, you know, they're, they're 18 years old, it's, it's you know, you, you – you know, they, you can't feel sorry for them, and obviously, a lot of them in this documentary don't feel sorry for themselves. They realize that they, they were, they were not very smart with their money. It's Who's not the worst of the bunch. Uh, Andre Tyson in there? Tyson's in there. Yeah, Andre Risen was really bad. Oh man. Uh, yeah, Tyson might be the worst of the bunch because uh, yeah. I think he had like the world's largest entourage at one point, like two hundred something people. It's like it's ridiculous. ridiculous. It's got like a whole payroll. How does that even happen? I don't like, know. These guys, they they get surrounded by these guys, man, and just like anybody else, you know, when money's around, they 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 people just pop up, you know. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, they're still popping Five, up. Forty five thousand dollars worth of drinks. Yeah. Well, it's it's an okay one. I don't really like the style it's shot in. It's mostly just, uh, it's almost like a talking head, but it's like you know they they, it's a little too flashy talking head for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but I mean some of the stories are interesting and, and just ridiculous and and you just you know you realize you you don't really think about all the things and what what a lot of these guys run into is they forget they don't forget to pay taxes they just don't really realize that they have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they know they have to pay taxes, but I don't think they realize how much in taxes they have to pay. And then of course you know there's lawyers and all these things that you know suck them dry. So. It's amazing. It's amazing how much money these guys go through so quick. Oh my god! So yeah, was there any hockey players in there? Probably not, eh? Uh, not that I really saw. Uh, not that I can recall. Let me put it that way. More but of a there was, bunch. yeah, there was a couple football players. Football players are mostly. It was mostly football players. Well, no, nowadays basketball. Basketball is a big one, but uh, it was mostly football players that I remembered. Andre Risen. Uh, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Searcy, maybe. Leon Searcy, eh? Yeah, Fucked Leon Searcy. for you guys. Yeah, he played for us. and then uh, Baltimore after that? Yeah, Baltimore. Yeah, he went to Baltimore. He, he blew through a ton of money. And there was a couple other guys, too. So it, Some baseball players. But yeah, there's some baseball players that blew through some money. And then there's the ones that try to do something else with their money. And they fail. Just bad business ventures. Like uh, Kurt Schilling recently, who put $38 million into, you know, he tried to become a video game developer, and that failed on him, so. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that sucks. You kind of feel bad for those guys. I mean, they're trying to do something good with their money. Not bad. I mean, not like they're living. They're wearing a barrel with suspenders. But you know, that's more unfortunate. Well, no, both are more unfortunate. I mean, I think it's an un- it's just unfortunate all around. But uh, you know, sometimes these these are kids that don't know any better, and they have fucking vampires just hanging off them. But you know, yeah, there's some of those stories too. You'll hear the if you see it, you'll hear the stories of the ones that 
just you know the women that are around or the the male oh, the other friends that are around so. bosses yeah so mo- money attracts that you know it doesn't take a genius to figure that out <laughs> your Steelers really fucked me this week man a suicide pool I was one of the last few guys yeah 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 they, they, uh, oh man this is a this is a weird we weird don't we don't year, man. yeah we don't talk about sports much on the show but this is a weird year for uh, football teams I think we're starting to see a power shift. We were talking about, buddy of mine and I were talking about that because this year it's like, you know, Houston is the, you know, the dominant force in the AFC and NFC, the Niners are pretty strong and, you know, Green Bay's two and three, Pittsburgh's two and three, New England is still good, but who knows what you're going to get. I think with, with when it comes to our two teams, Green Bay and Pittsburgh, yeah. I think it strictly comes down to a lot of teams have figured us out. Figure so, and also I think the fact that a lot of teams are keyed into playing you know, they're marquee franchises, right? Yeah, yeah. Primetime games. I don't think either one of our teams is as bad as our record. Well, number one, we had a win that that was taken away from us. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's know, right. But you guys you should know, be one win on the... Three and two. Yeah, you should be three and two. And then Indy was a last-second field goal. But, I mean, that's where the ball bounces, well, right? Well, so, this week, Tennessee was a last-second field goal. So, so yeah, so there the, you go. That is the way the ball bounces, man. The, you know. The it's, oblong it's, ball bounces in funny ways. Oblong. Yeah, and it's... Uh, but, man, I... I uh, I was pretty bummed because I would I've, I've been in a bit of a roll. I won my hockey pool uh, last year. I won this, the first suicide pool, and everyone went out like week three, mm-hmm. and I won. With then, ironically, in Oakland, last second field goal against uh, I can't remember who it was. They hit like a I don't know Janikowski get a fucking I don't know like a fifty-five yarder or something to win it. But anyway, yeah. I guess sorry enough about that. I just yeah. wanted to let you know. I thought about it. I'm like man, I got to tell him his team let me down. Yeah, but the, the, both our teams too also should be said. It's not the offense that's causing his problems. <laughs> no, it's the lack of defense. Jeez, it's brutal and the sacks, man. I know, I know. It's coming from uh, both. It's just you know because like it's nothing uh, for my team. It's nothing offensively that's going wrong. It's everything to fit. And for Pittsburgh, it's it's kind of a. I think for some people who watch Pittsburgh or who just kind of. Watch them on the periphery. I think people are kind of shocked at kind of really how manipulated their defense is nowadays. Yeah, they've changed up quite a bit, and they're just not quite the you know they're not quite the defense they were. No, but hey, so it happens, man. It's a you know sports are, it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. You know, once they figure you out, they figure you out. Yeah, but I just, just I hate gotta, the sacks. The sacks drive me nuts. I know they 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 do. <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah. I think p- between me and you, I think we both have the the two quarterbacks that get sacked the most. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, that was uh, the GGTMC's guys of sports, <laughs> which was the Facebook group, ironically. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Uh, Once upon a time in Norway, I watched. Uh, this is one I meant to see for like ages. Now this is just basically the same story of the Norwegian death metal. Uh, with the uh, some of the church burnings and everything else, but I'd never seen this actual one, so I was kind of fucking around on YouTube, and YouTube's great for documentaries, mm-hmm. um, and you never know what you're going to come across, and, once, and one of the great things about YouTube, of course, is once you come across one, you look over oh. to the right, and you got all these other, you know, you know, maybe you might like this, maybe you might like this, you know, all these things that are similar, and so I ended up watching another one from that, too, but I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Norway. It was good. It, was, it, was, it wasn't, well, I'd say it was good, but it wasn't great, but that's, it, that's the fact. It, it's a story that I'd heard a thousand times, too, but I did like the story because it was kind of told from the perspective of people on the outside of that. Not on the outside. They were on the inside, but they were just kind of people that don't normally get talked to about the story. So I dug that. Um, was it better than to, Until the Light Takes Us? 
No, I think Until the Light Takes Us has got an, um, a more, a better theme to it, a better feel. You know what I mean? I mean, you saw that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's got an overall better feel of kind of like the genre. This is just really about the the one story really involving the church burning and stuff. The infamous story from this stuff, you know, where kids got out of control. I think the one thing I took away from it the most is is one of the main guys that really got all that stuff going is that he just liked to see bad shit happen, but when it came down to it himself, he couldn't, you know, he was almost like a megalomaniac, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he, he he would goad people into doing stuff, but he wasn't doing it himself. You know what I mean? He was a fucker. Yeah, he was removed. Who and, was this? Uh, his name was, well, he called himself Euronymous. Euronymous. And I can't remember his real name. It's Norwegian, so I'm not even going to give it a shout. I'll sound like the Swedish <laughs> chef or something on the air. Vlorgen, Vlorgen, Borgen. But uh, he uh, he was, uh, it's, it's one of those things, you know. I mean, sometimes that's all it takes. I mean, hell, look at throughout history. You know, you'll find somebody, all it takes is get, you know, three or four people around you to kind of follow your ideals. And the next thing you know, you could end up running a country. So Yeah. We're going to talk about that uh, next month with the Criterion Disc. Yes, exactly. So there you go. Uh, so then I proceeded to get into Celtic Frost or Celtic Frost, uh, A Dying God, which is about the band Celtic Frost. I think it was shot for Swedish television. It's only an hour-long documentary, but it's pretty interesting. They're one of the more influential death metal bands or, uh, I don't know, death metal, black metal, whatever you want to call it, metal bands, I'll say, of, of all time, but they're not really as well-known outside of their name for some um it's a good one and but of course it deals with band turmoil and and things like that so loaf won't like it <laughs> yeah loaf won't be down <laughs> it's be funny down. they were one of the bands that i remember from hip parader as far as the heavier stuff like slayer and them got some play back in the day and in, in, uh yeah parader yeah yeah they were always there was a big influence on like a lot of other bands and stuff and and, and rightfully so music musically uh they were uh, very influential on metal from the uh, that type of metal, but uh, they didn't really caught on, caught on. And of course, they uh, well, they just didn't last. But they they tried to get it going again, just didn't work out. But you know, say love you. Uh, I then did some more Thomas Jane research and finally watched the Mutant Chronicles on Blu-ray, nice. which you know it's always nice to watch anything on Blu-ray. Don't care what anybody says, Blu-rays. Yes. On a big, ways to go. Yeah, on a, on a big TV with the lights out, it's like, ah. You know, but uh, this is, you know, this is a, it's a pretty average movie in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's very, you know, I guess the best thing I can compare it to recently is it's it's very sucker punch because it's, you know, okay. it's almost all green screen in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Some of it looks really great and some of it looks really not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, our good pal Dave you know, worked on it. Uh, Dave Alcock, he worked on the uh, storyboards and stuff, and and of course, you know Tom Jane's in it and stuff. And I wanted to check it out. I mean, it's a noble effort. I think I don't. I don't think I think everybody's heart's in the right place. I just think it kind of falls apart mm-hmm. after a certain phase of the, of the storytelling and stuff. Seems ambitious. Yeah, it, it was. It is quite ambitious. And what they had and what they did was impressive to a degree. But I just don't think the story's quite there. It's. A, I think one of the people that saw me post said it. You know. The movie's a bit of fun, but it's also a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably the best way to kind of describe it. You know, it's probably like in the mid fives to maybe if it, it would struggle to get to six for me, but I haven't really even thought about it. Sure. Outside of that. But interesting. Anyway, I did like Tom Jane in it. Uh, he is good in it. He plays the uh, 
kind of tough guy hero, and he's pretty great in it. Uh, yeah, he's done a lot of uh, since he's caught on yeah, a lot of pulpy uh, genre stuff. We've talked about we've talked about this before about uh, ta- uh, smokers in cinema. And Tom Jane's a great smoker in cinema, man. Nice. He's Alongside good. the millions. <laughs> yeah, he's up there. He's he's a great. Let's go with a cigarette in the mouth. Is he a smoke eater though, like Million? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's a smoke eater. Like, well, <laughs> De Niro can be like that sometimes, man. Yeah. I've seen that guy inhale and nothing come out. <laughs> Fuck's sake, man. <laughs> Jesus. You got to let a little out, Bob. Yeah, Bobby do. D. Um, all right. So then I watched the two films for the show, obviously. And then I got in one more, 30 for 30, 9.79. This is the uh, the infamous Seoul Korea 100-meter dash uh, from, uh, what was it, 84? 88. 88. Oh, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting it was that late in the cycle. 84 was LA, yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so for those of you who don't know, this is the uh, the scandalous one. Uh, ben Johnson won, and then everything went to hell in a handbasket like one day after he won. Uh, the most interesting thing about this one, and most people know the story, but one of the most interesting, they interview everybody that was in, well, just about everybody that was in on the race. And uh, it's just really interesting. Some of this, I'm not going to give anything away because I feel like it could be a potentially a spoiler. A lot of that stuff has been out there in print and stuff, so it's not really a spoiler. But for some people who don't read that stuff or don't follow track and field, because it's not like it's, you know, it's a sport we all sit around and talk about. I mean, it's worldwide; it's a gigantic sport. But oh, yeah. it's like soccer for me. I mean, I don't sit around and talk about the details of soccer. Um, the uh, or football, I guess I should say. <laughs> um. But it, there was some things that I didn't know, and uh, they were very interesting. Almost like, you know, let's just put it this way. There's like some conspiracy theories that are pretty fucking interesting stuff when you I, think about it. Being Canadian, like I told you, I remember that. I remember watching it with my mom and my grandfather and having a foggy notion of what even Seoul, I think Seoul, you know, what Seoul, South Korea meant, like just a far-fung place. and. And I remember it happening and just being excited. And I remember the next day. I don't remember obviously too much of that, but let me tell you, man. I uh, yeah, those you know it was. I, I don't want to get into too much sour grapes, but fucking Carl Lewis, man, that guy was dope to the gills. But you well, know, yeah, exactly. I mean, money there's, talks. There's yeah, exactly. There's a lot of, uh, and this is the kind of the beginning of. Uh, well, for me personally, this was the first real big dope scandal. And yeah. when we say dope, we basically mean steroids. Performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the fancy way to say it. But, you know, PEDs. The steroids. Yeah. Um, and uh, so this was the first real one that kind of popped up. And then all of a sudden started popping up on everything. And I, and I hate to say this, but come on, guys, let's be honest. I mean, every sport, it, it still goes on. <laughs> it, yeah. It's not going to go anywhere. If you think you're testing for it, trust me, somewhere somebody's testing to find a way to make something not detectable. There'll be, a, there'll be a new steroid because it's, you know, it's synthetic, so they'll just find another steroid. Yeah. It's not going to go anywhere. There's too much money mm-hmm. involved. Personally and, and collectively as a sport. Yes, exactly. As There's, a business. You can't tell me that a kid coming out of college that weighs 240 as a football player, and then it's, by the time he's a second-year pro, he's got 45 pounds of muscle on him. Where did that 45 pounds come from? Trust me, I don't think genetically. I don't even know if it's possible to put on that much muscle. No, normally. So, don't get me wrong. There's people out there that do it correctly, and I know there is. But there's a lot of doping still going on because it's big business. I mean, you know, we're talking about you know when you talk about the NFL, billions. yeah, you're talking about billions and billions of dollars. You're, you know, people are going to do what they got to do. 
people always say, well, you know, they're bad for, uh, you know, your health. They can cause this kind of cancer, blah, blah, blah. They can cause this, they can cause that. And people aren't, when they're 20 years old, they aren't thinking of that. No, it's like I'll give you untold riches and you're going to die 10 years younger. They don't give a fuck yeah. until it's death's door. And then it's like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But it's hindsight being 2020, I guess. Now, yeah. I wanted to ask you, for those that aren't into sports, do you feel that the uh, 9.79, which for those that don't know, that was the time that Ben ran. Yes. Um, is it a good one for non-sports fans? Yes, I think so. I think so because it deals a lot with human flaws and human characteristics. Uh, Ben's an interesting dude. Yeah, he is. Uh, troubled. He troubled. He realizes what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some things he says that, you know, he's definitely living in denial a little bit. Yeah. But there's other things he says which kind of tells you why he lives in denial like he does and why he is like he is. And really, Ben was not doing anything that anybody else wasn't doing. No. It's just that it kind of showed on Ben a little bit more. And then, you know, he had, for those of you who don't know, I mean, he had gotten hurt not too long before the Korea thing. And then here he comes out of nowhere and he he doesn't just win the 100-meter dash. He fucking blows him away. He broke the record, I think, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, he just fucking smoked him. Yeah. And wasn't Lin- Linford Christie in there, too? Uh, yeah, I think so, yes. Great Britain, the great runner from Great Britain. <laughs> Who I think like four years later was was found out he was dope enough. <laughs> yeah. That's so, right, man. so again, I mean, you know, it. whatever. I mean, you'll, you'll take from it what you will. Um, but what I really took from it the most was it's, you know, it's a business. And sadly, you know, these guys do an athlete is a natural competitor. And if they feel like somebody else is doing something, then they're going to do it too. Why wouldn't you? It's it's almost in a way it's foolish not to when there's there's that much money and your life on the line as far as um, prosperity, right? Right. I mean, because I mean, when it's it comes, easy to take the high ground. So I wouldn't. Yeah. Well, there's millions of dollars and your family can be set for life. Exactly. You know, are going to take that risk. Yeah, that's Ben's whole point. Ben was going to you know take care of his mom and he came. You know, a lot of those guys come from a troubled background. Yeah. Not all of them come. You know, from. You know the, the good. You know the well. You know, like Derek Jeter is a great example. He comes from a very good background, New Jersey suburban. Mom and dad are. I think it was mom. But dad was a doctor. I mean, he had a great childhood, great life. You know, and then he, he becomes a great baseball player, great money. King of the Yankees. Talk about a charmed life. Yeah, it's all you mean. And just you know, his dating life alone has made me envious. Yeah, it still does. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then, then you got you know the other side of that. And the other side of that is a lot of these guys come from nothing. You know, that was one of the things in that broke one is like all these guys. First thing they do is buy their parents a house. Yeah. First thing they do is buy their parents a house. But the problem is they don't buy a regular house. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it's like a hammer mansion. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, not quite a hammer mansion, but you know, almost like a Vander Holyfield's ridiculous. You know, he's living in oh, he's the only person living in a fucking 25 bedroom mansion. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's like, what the hell? What is the point? He was on there, too. Talk about somebody who blew through some cash. Oh, boy, did he ever. All right, so that's everything we watched. We could talk about that 9.79. I mean, if you watch it and, you know, like if, you was, if we was to review it, we could probably talk about it for like three hours. It's, it's I just, imagine. Because it's, you know, it deals with so much human spirit, human, uh, I don't know, frailty. Human frailty, yeah, yeah. All these things. So it, it, it's really good, though. And Ben's, uh, you know, he's very charismatic, I think. I think he, I've always liked, I think we saw Ben Johnson has a great face. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of this like natural human sadness in his eyes, yeah, that's yeah. that's really really hard to describe unless you see him. And then when you see him interviewed, <laughs> man, it really it really comes through. Where Carl was always the 
you know, flamboyant, more uh, jewelry and yeah, perms and yeah, and he, you know, he was made for prime time. You know, he's like Deion Sanders or something. You know, and, he, and in fact, he even liked Deion. He even had a shitty R and B rap album. Oh God, man! They should they, get some music oh, on the show. No, bro, it's 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 in the it's in the fucking movie. Oh man, they show and it is so fucking atrocious. <sighs> it is easily the worst athlete trying to do music thing I've ever seen before in my life. It's bad. It makes Eddie Murphy <laughs> seem amazing. <laughs> It not only does it make Eddie Murphy seem amazing, it makes Eddie Murphy seem like the greatest R&B artist that has ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how fucking bad Carlos' yeah, shit is. It's terrible. I think doesn't he even wear bicycle shorts in the fucking video? Oh, the video is so GGTMC, it hurts. <laughs> I mean, it fucking hurts. But it, yeah. it, but it, it borders on being cheesy and being bad, but the problem is it, it teeters more toward just being flat bad. Yeah, it's not like cheesy enough to like you know celebrate. Catchy, you yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> we can't celebrate it because it's like it's just embarrassing. Yeah, it's really bad, <laughs> and the worst of the worst musically too. It's like the worst oh. kind of rap too. It's, it's fucking even Will Smith's like dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he's like that's not even rap, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. All right, uh, we're gonna take a short break. Come back. What do you want to talk about first here? Uh, out of the blue. Yeah, I have more notes on out of the blue. So okay, we'll oh. do out of the blue. All right. All right, we'll be back right after this. The American dream, dusty road to be his. I'm coming to you live and in a living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. You know that the American dream, dusty roads, knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver. Sticking Baba Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com.
in a in a moment of infinite genius, I meant to play that at the beginning of the uh, next film we review. But uh, hey, that's the way it goes. <laughs> it's it's early in the morning, baby. <laughs> yeah, if we can't get him on the show, Daddy, <laughs> yes. get him in the promo. He's here. He's here in spirit. And uh, well, I mean, essentially, you know, hopefully, again, like I say, he'll pop up here in a second. But you Come know, in the door like Kramer. Yeah, I'm mean, gonna keep hoping so, but. You know, it is what it is. Uh, but hey, all right. So, our first film is Out of the Blue, and uh, let's see. He is here in spirit. So let me see if I can. Uh, there we go. There. Sound like the Grudge, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and let's see. If we get a little bit of here in spirit too. There we go. Nice. <laughs> so, he is here in spirit. <laughs> yeah, working it out this morning. <laughs> Hey, you know, man, had uh, had a nice meal, you know. Yeah. Cabbage soup for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, um, let's see. Well, the only thing, <laughs> I guess the only other thing I can add to that is this, maybe. <laughs> oh, man. As you can see, guys, I was totally prepared for the Zom. <laughs> I'm going to spring it on the motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, okay, out of the blue. Uh, 1980, a young girl whose father is an ex-convict biker. Actually, I want to take the lead on this one because, uh, if you don't mind. Um, no, no, that's cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a young girl whose father is an ex-convict biker and whose mother is a junkie has a difficult time coping with her parents' problems. All right, so this film is from 1980. Like I said, uh, Dennis Hopper kind of, uh, I think he kind of, happened into this one he did and uh because by this point in 1980 his name was essentially mud in yeah. hollywood he had burned <laughs> a lot of bridges and a lot of doobies <laughs> um you know he you know but he was in apocalypse now but he was already pretty uh known to be a you know it's an interesting period we talked about the american friend which was three years before and, you know, we've kind of talked about Mad Morgan, Mad Dog Morgan a little bit, kind of like the history of that. And then we did the last movie, which was 71. And he did Easy Rider in 69, and then the last movie was kind of like a total failure for him. Uh, even though, you know, we've, we've talked about these films. Uh, well, we talked about the last movie anyway. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting failure, if it is a failure. Uh, yeah, but I, think, it's a, I think it's a pretty fascinating film. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating stuff. And, of course, American Friends very interesting. His name was kind of mud then, too. So really, from the last movie on, he he has these kind of really good performances, but you know a lot of people didn't want to work with him. So here he is; he kind of pops into this movie and happens into it. And I think his take was always that this was like what happened to the generation that made that that was in Easy Rider. This is what happened to this is what these guys became, which uh, I think is a pretty realistic bent because you know you talk about the love, the free love generation, and you know everything's cool and stuff, and but. The problem is that's the kind of the ignorance of youth again. And and not really forecasting in 15, 20 years' time yeah. what all this is going to translate into in terms of real life. Yeah, children, jobs. Mortgages. Yeah, surviving. Mad dog mortgages. Yeah, mad dog mortgages, which you can, can easily happen to you, bro. <laughs> uh, it can happen to any of us at any given time. Um, but uh, So this is an interesting story. Now, this story starts with uh, tragedy. Uh, and and uh, and a great moment of tragedy, uh, mm -hmm. I think cinematically, it's uh, it's very for unforgettable moment. Uh, not just because 
I have children or I have a child. <laughs> I hope I don't have children. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> for something I don't know about. But, <laughs> um, but uh, it's just, you know, it's just a tragic moment. And I love the way it's shot. Uh, it's very simple and effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I think the, the clown makeup Linda Manns is wearing makes it in some weird way kind of bizarre. <laughs> Bizarre, but I think it was also done to mask the fact that she was supposed to be what five years younger. Yeah, five years younger, right? Yeah, so and it, and it works because mm-hmm. Linda Mans has this really, she has this bizarre look that makes her look younger than she is anyway, mm-hmm. and which is I think She's is very why, short and compact. Yeah. yeah, and which I think is why she was used as much as she was. Yeah, uh, from she was like, you know what she was like, man. She was the Jackie Earl Haley of. Of girl actors. Yeah, yeah. No, she's totally like Jackie or her. She even looks like she could be his sister. Yeah. <laughs> I've always thought they missed a, missed a, a made golden opportunity with Jackie or Haley and Linda Manns in a movie together mm-hmm. as brother and sister. Because they do remind me of each other and they remind me of that era of cinema of the late 70s, the Bad News Bears and the, you know, Days of Heaven, Bad News Bears, The Wanderers, mm-hmm. uh, Breaking Away, these films that they were in. They oh, remind yeah. me of this era of filmmaking when we were, people were still casting people on genuine screen charisma Mm -hmm. as opposed to and talent as opposed to you know nowadays it would be justin bieber right so yeah even in this role (laughs) yeah precisely the girl that's a bad joke (laughs) but um yeah so this this one has that uh the great neil young song in it you know that's where the title came from yeah and uh you know which has the infamous line it's better to burn out than to fade away which uh, kurgan even says in highlander (laughs) Nice, so yeah, so yeah, one of the great uh, lines of New Young, all New Young songs that come from that uh, comes from that song. Wasn't in that on um, in a suicide note from Kurt Cobain as well? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a, it's a very popular saying. You know, it's basically the live young, whatever die fa- die. Or what was it? How I don't know what live fast, die young, leave a good looking corpse type thing. You Isn't know, that unless oh, too too fast? I don't to know. Die is that the Motley Crue album? Uh, too young to die, too fast, to, too fast to love, too young. <laughs> Who fucking knows? I can't even fuck remember. it. We're dug ourselves. Yeah, we've dug ourselves a hole here. We need to, <laughs> we need to get out of it. Um, <laughs> but like, that is a, that is a great opening. It's, it's powerful. It's very tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that it's revisited enough that I almost wonder if I mean it, this sort of thing isn't like a completely um, uh, rare occurrence in film, but I wonder if. The impact it has on our characters. If uh, Casper in a way had seen it, maybe. Uh, yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, obviously, if Gasper saw it, uh, you know, he's not as narrative a filmmaker as Hopper is. But um, I can see where that would happen, though. I mean, because yeah, I mean, it is in a lot of ways. This film's about self destruction and and uh, <laughs> the dangers of that and then you throw raising children into that as well and obviously you know it's it's easy to look at everything like this and say man i would never you know i would never be like that if i had you know a kid and blah 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 but you know again that goes back to that saying you know it's easy to say you don't know where life puts you and sometimes people have kids who you know let's let's, let's be honest they shouldn't have kids but no uh, that's just not the way it works anybody can have kids practically so uh it doesn't mean that you know it's always going to be great. And anyway, I'm, I'm kind of glad that everybody does. In some ways, you got to be kind of happy that everybody can have kids because I mean, a lot of great artists, a lot of great things have come from troubled backgrounds. So, yeah, 
as awful as it is, it's kind of like a catch-22. You can't really get, you know, you can't really say that only good people should have children. And again, sometimes bad people have children that makes them good people. Yes. Sometimes the other thing happens. Sometimes good people have children that makes them bad people. You just, you know, life has the, is that way. Um, but yeah, I think Mans is, I think she is something special in cinema. Now, this is the second time she's been on our show. First time. Yeah, she, yeah. and I, th- I have to say that I think the casting of her in Gummo mm-hmm. as the mother, the frazzled mother, was very much an intentional thing from Harmony Curran to bring her full circle as the mother, her own mother right. in that film. Right. 17 years later, in 17 years, she really changed a lot in 17 years. Mm-hmm. That's really crazy. Uh, but she'll be on the show again soon, uh, believe it or not, in another film. Yeah, so uh, that's right. So it's pretty interesting. Um, but she has this quality. It's it's almost like a Matt Dillon type quality, that late 70s, early 80s child actor thing. It's like we talked about, it's Jackie O'Haley quality. But like these those films from that era, you know, the Bad News Bears, the Breaking Aways, the... Uh, the uh, I'm trying to think what the uh, Matt Dillon film, some of those early Matt Dillon films. But anyway... This before the Brad Pack type of thing, this kind of more raw, uh, uh-huh. young actor type look and scruffy in a jean jacket. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they just have this natural cinematic charisma. I don't know where it comes from. You can just say it's it's natural, or whatever. I mean, Matt Dillon for me has always been cinematically, even though sometimes his performances don't always work for me. But he's always worked for me as far as charisma goes. He's, always, he's a favorite of mine, too. Yeah, he's always interesting when he's on camera. Some of his film choices are not, but he's always very interesting. Okay. Uh, some people think he's a one note, but I think it's just the way he talks. But you could say the same thing about Linda Manns and Jackie O'Haley. I mean, they they got this characteristic in their voice that makes them kind of who they are. Uh, maybe the only real fault of this film is having it set, I think, somewhere in the Midwest. And Linda Manns is obviously from New York City. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually, it, it's, it was, it's a Canadian production. Yeah. It was done in Vancouver. As soon as I saw the Canada Pacific Railway train, I knew. Um, and then some of the exteriors. I was saying on Cool Cat Chris yesterday, because him and his wife and kid, uh, their, their great great son, was at my boy's birthday party. And I was saying it was obviously shot in Canada. Now, what's weird is it looks like Toronto to me, but it it's, apparently it was Vancouver. So, Yeah, when she goes to the city, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's very... Uh, it you know some of my favorite scenes in the movie is when she's in the city. And, oh yeah, uh, but it looks totally uh, like an American city. I mean, it looks like well, it looks like. No, you thought so. I thought. See, to me, I thought it looked totally Canadian, but maybe <laughs> right. because I'm Canadian, <laughs> yeah, it might be. You know, it's like look, it's it's very it looked, obvious. But you know, because I didn't know, I had like no LA. knowledge of this film being Canadian production until I saw the started seeing some telltale subtle signs. Yeah, yeah. Um. But I do like the scenes where she's discovering the city because it's like you know the world opens up to her and the way Hopper shoots it and stuff. It kind of opens her eyes a little bit to the way they, the the real world is, because in, in a lot of ways she's very insular. Her character, yeah, she is. She lives she's in her own, having a rough background. Yeah, and she lives in her own fantasy. Uh, she wants to be a rock and roller. She mm-hmm. wants to be a rock star, and uh, she thinks it's yeah, you know, like a lot of young people. They you think it's as easy as an attitude and and a drive and an adoration. Yeah, and she loves Elvis, who you know uh, she can. So the, she keeps saying the same thing, and and the movie cracks me up. And yeah, punk rock man, disco sucks, man. Yeah, and it's it's very much you can tell it's something she's heard somewhere. Yeah, and it's almost it's like when someone says something, they don't really know what it means. It's just her repeating something, right? Right. This mantra, and um, 
I don't think she really even understands it. I think maybe she might have heard one of her dad's friends or her dad say something along those lines, and, and she's kind of taken it for her own. And I'll tell you something. If she had been a little bit older, maybe even a couple years older, I'm going to bring this debate back up. She would have been a great Riff Randall. Oh, yeah, she would have been a great Riff Randall, no doubt about it. Maybe not as, uh, I don't know, physically appealing as maybe PJ Soul. But she doesn't need to be. I mean, we're talking about Joey Ramone, right? Yeah, well, yeah, well, speaking of not physically appealing, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I love the dude. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, me too, man. But, hey, I mean, looks you know, on everything, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's alfalfa grass or whatever the fuck he's eating in that movie at one point. It's like one of the grossest things in cinema I've ever seen is when Joey Ramone's getting force-fed food. <laughs> fucking, I'll take I'll take fucking Slime City or any of those other gross movies over fucking jo- watching Joey Ramone eat fucking alfalfa grass. Uh, anyway, um, but I really do like those scenes with her, and I, I really she is she is the focal point of this movie, even though uh, the story of Hopper and Sharon Farrell is incredibly interesting as well. It is. Uh, they they really make her the focal point to everything, and I, and I really like that a lot. And now, I want to mention that uh, their friend, Don Gordon. Don Gordon plays great sleazeballs. He, you know who he reminds me of? Um, John Saxon. Yeah, yeah. He's like a, uh, yeah, he is, he is a lot like a John Saxon, right? But he, he has always played great sleazeballs. What a fucking scumbag. Yeah, he always has played a man. He doesn't work anymore. He quit working in like 91, 92 or something like that. And he just, uh, he doesn't really work anymore. But what was he in anything else really prominent? Uh, I think he was in the Mac, wasn't he? Wasn't he in the Mac? Uh, well, well, like, here's an embarrassing tidbit from me. The Mac is the one black exploitation film, as far as Pantheon ones go, that has eluded me. I've never oh, seen them. Yeah, Mac. there you go. Well, there you go. So That's the way that goes. Yeah. Uh, he was in Bullet. I remember him in Bullet. I don't remember him in Bullet. Was he one of the uh, one of the gangsters? Like, uh... Uh, no, I think he was one of the. Well, maybe he was. I can't remember. Fuck, I can't. It's been a long time. He was in Slaughter. He was in I've Fuzz. He was in the last movie. Well, there we go. Yeah, but that was a kaleidoscope of <laughs> yeah. insanity. So. Papillon. He's in Papillon. Wow, Papillon's been about twenty years since I've seen it. Literally. So. I mean, if you see Don Gordon, you've seen him in something. He's one of those actors, right? You can mm-hmm. arguably say he's been in just about everything. Good face, yeah. TV shows growing up for me. He was in just about everything. Oh, he's in the education of Sonny Carson. Nice. He's been in just a good about one. That's a good, been, he did some good black exploitation work, man. Yeah, yeah. But he always played this like a sleazeball. Always. Rat bastard. <laughs> so, and in this, he's he's sleazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's not. He, he's not a good dude. <laughs> he's a sh- he's a scumbag, man. <laughs> he is. He's, he would have fucked uh, his friend's wife if he had the chance. Uh, I think he did. I think he did. I think that, you know, we just saw one scene of him trying to do that. In but a again, bowling alley, he was pretty overt. But again, if if you're talking about his, I think maybe the more sleazy part is him hitting on the teenage girls. Yeah. Yeah, just eyeballing them like in a predatory way. <laughs> but again, it's it's a different era, right? It's a different era different of cinema. Era, different, and certainly I think it's very in line with, you know, this is a lower, like a lower class a lower middle class, lower class, lower middle class um, mm-hmm. film, and I love seeing that world in film. Right, right, because this uh, nowadays our world is so politically correct, so glossy. We sexualize teenagers still in cinema. We we've never stopped doing that, but 
you know, because you think about the American Pie movies, you know, we did that in the 90s, and then, of course, you know, the sex comedies of the 80s. They've always sexualized young teens. I mean, slasher films. Well, you know, a lot of people are watching slasher films because it's October. I mean, that's all sexualized teenagers. That's all. That's all that is. But this has a lewd quality to it, and 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 there's no real <clears throat> uh, nudity among the teenagers. But Linda Manns is even the way she shot. It's not like a glamorous sexualization of a girl. But, but there's a burgeoning sexuality there, right? It's a it's a maturation. It's it's like mm-hmm. you know she's coming into her own, and and Hopper and kind of a genius move. He the way he kind of shoots her and the way he kind of portrays her character is this this character coming to the realization of all these things the 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 seedier side of life the darker side i mean there's moments in this film that are as disturbing (laughs) as any moments in any film yeah you'll see and then i'm not just talking about the ending either which you know we won't talk about but we're not going to reveal too much but i do want to ask you oh we'll get there yeah but i'm there's the scene with the taxi cab driver again where you can see where the the generation of the free love generation where it just got dark mm-hmm. and where drugs got involved more and more drugs got involved and it became it was originally this idea of this paradigm of sharing yeah lovers sharing culture sharing 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 and because of drugs everything became more and more about these selfish needs of course and which always happens with drugs it always starts out as a party and eventually becomes, you know, selfish destruction in some shape, way, or form. It never really stays into its kind of naive sensibilities of, hey, let's have a good time, man. It never really stays that way. It starts that way all the time, but it never stays that way. So no. I think that Hopper really, I mean, you can obviously tell. I mean, at this point, he's still doing drugs. I mean, you know, if he was to show up on a movie and the movie was full of fake snow, I think you know what Hopper would be trying to do. I, I was actually going to say that I thought he looked pretty clear-eyed in this film and yeah. seemed reasonably sober. I think this was his cocaine era, though. But yeah, He didn't seem too manic, too over-the-top to me. He seemed, other than when he was drunk in the film, or something, maybe he was boozing hard. Like, like the last 15 uh, minutes, maybe you get some but, of the Hopper you used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I felt like otherwise, I felt like, man, wow. You know, I, I think he was sober when he made this. I think, or, or, or relatively speaking. Well, I think what really comes through in Hopper's performance in this is regret. Yes. Some of the mistakes he had made. Because in the 70s, I mean, from like 60, I don't know, 67, 68 on. Right up. Yeah. I mean, to this, I mean, you're talking about like one of the world's largest party animals. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, this guy did. I mean, <laughs> I haven't read. Any books about his life? I'm sure there are some out there, but I mean, I know that story about oh, what's it called? Where I think Peter Fonda, I mean, I don't know who it was. He had that thing where he there was a ring of dynamite. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that thing, and he lit each one that's supposed to create a vacuum. Yeah, to keep you safe. And if one of them had a dud, he would have been dead, and <laughs> just insane shit. Yeah, hey, he's living recklessly, man. You know, he's invincible. You know, yeah. You know, the ignorance of youth again. It's it's all there, you know. <clears throat> But also the drug haze, you know. And there's so many great stories. If, if you ever do get a chance to read a book about Hopper, read one because, and I talked a little bit about the last movie, you know. I mean, the last movie he would disappear sometimes for days. Mm-hmm. And then some other movies he made, he would disappear for days. <laughs> and, you know, he would go on these benders, these unbelievable benders that you don't know how this man lived as long as he lived because he should have oh, never God. he should have never made it. No, and he got kicked out of Australia. Yeah, which is saying something, Which right? is saying something. <laughs> 
Yeah, another country known for its partying a little bit, you know. But yeah, even they were like, "Fuck, get this guy out of here, man." That's too much for much. Get this fucking yank out of here. <laughs> that was a terrible Australian. Um, but yeah, like I don't, I don't think a film like this would be made today. And and no. and you know, his performance reminds me a little bit of. Well, you know, I kind of drew a parallel to like Mickey Rourke and the wrestler a little bit, even though. Yeah, a blue call, a very much, um, yeah, without the sort of wrestling ability, but you could see that. I mean, I think Mickey's character is more pure of heart. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And and he is, he has demons, but they're demons of a different kind. But right. I can definitely see the parallels in terms of the regret and the, the, the realization that you've written or your, your path has been written now and that window is pretty much closed. You can ride out what's left, but there really aren't very many choices left for you to ride out. Right, right. And, of course, I think that that all comes through... Some people have criticized the the very back end of this film and how a certain section of it, and without giving anything away, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's seen it knows exactly what I'm talking about. There, a certain section of it seems like it's almost tacked on, but really, if you think about that section, then you think of everything that happened previously. It all kind of makes sense in a weird, crazy way. I, I don't know. I, I wrestle with it. I, uh, I it, think it was too much. I don't. I don't. Well, well the scene itself, the scenes themselves. <laughs> Man, I, I want to quote something, but again, I don't want to give anything away. No, at first, at first, when it first starts happening, you're like, "Ooh, why is that being shot like this?" Like I can, <laughs> I'm seeing things. That, I don't know. I'm I'm uncomfortable here. Yeah, and uh, you're like, started, no wonder no, this it, isn't readily available on DVD. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh man, and you know, it's. Uh, but I, I think that not to get ahead of ourselves, but I feel like there's realizations from man's character. Toward the back end, when because this is very much about her pining for her father. Yes, it's about a girl growing up in an environment that is her mother does love her, but her mother is certainly a person who has problems of her own and isn't really equipped to provide her daughter everything she needs. And right. her daughter's a scrappy girl; she's she's a survivor, but she keeps thinking that when her father comes home, everything's going to be okay, and then the white knight's going to ride in. And it'll be all right. And this is something that happens quite often in society. Yeah. When, you know, you have a father that's not around or a mother that's not around. And when you have that and when the realization hits that if you do, you're careful, you know, you get that, careful what you wish for. And you realize, well, you know, the bitter realization, even as a child, I mean, she grew up very fast in the the back end of the film because she realizes that her father is what he is and... And he isn't the, the the knight on the white steed that that she thought he was, and it's it's a terribly sad realization. But I just feel like the very end of that, I don't think they needed that. I think her realizing that things weren't going to be great, and she was kind of penned into a life that you know is a bit sad, well, very sad, and and after so many years that that things wouldn't be any better, and it kind of it's her crashing into adulthood, being thrust into the bitter realization that. The dreams are nice, sweetheart, but they don't really come true too often. Yeah, I think like that would have been enough. Yeah, I mean, for, well, for me, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. I understand that. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a sledgehammer as opposed to a rubber mallet. <laughs> but I guess it had to be. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty. It'll, it'll, 
if you <laughs> if you end up yeah if you end up seeing this film for the first time, uh, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, I think I, th- I personally I think so. I think it'll yeah. blow your mind. Um, let me add in uh, around a minute uh, thirteen. We saw the J and B bottle. Oh yeah, we saw an hour thirteen, right? Yeah, hour thirteen. Yeah, we said yeah, we get a couple. I took a few screenshots. I posted one up <laughs> on, uh, on the group. We also should mention this movie's great for mustaches. Oh yeah, and great for Canadian tuxedos. Oh fuck yeah! Well, now you know it's was shot in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the first thing I said. I was on the trail, man. The bloodhound. <laughs> you were yeah. sniffing it out, man. Yeah, man. I saw when Hopper showed up to work in his Canadian tuxedo. I thought, wait a second. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Between that and Linda Manz's pancake earrings, that kind of gave it away. Dangling pancakes. Ooh. Reminds me of another something else I saw this past week I don't want to talk about. <laughs> reminds us of Dylan's fetish. <laughs> Dangling pancakes and flapjacks. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Mud flaps. <laughs> okay. Mud flaps better than piss flaps. And on that note, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, ooh. Yeah. An awful, just unglamorous, unromantic term, piss flaps. <laughs> Jesus. It's like the term fur burger, right? <laughs> Hang on, my, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> we need Zom here. <laughs> We're um, it up for him. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the... Uh, I, th- I think really ultimately what, what comes through in this film for me is the demise of the free love generation. Really, the you know, this is almost like Altamont, like the whole Rolling Stones thing mm. and, and all this stuff. I think this is really this that gen- this generation dealing with what America had become and what the world had become. And uh, Hopper really, you know, he never got enough credit as a filmmaker. You know, no. I mean, I know no. that uh, we all know about Easy Rider and things like that, but. <clears throat> I mean, you know, the last movie, a lot of people kind of just hated or kind of shit on. I, I've never, I gave it close to an eight. I know you were reasonably close to that, too. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's, I mean, I guess maybe the reason why it's kind of despised is because it is it it is a lost film it, in a lot of ways, not just because it's hard to find, but because it's messy. It's messy. But the themes are there. The stuff is all there. And sometimes I think with art or with cinema or with stories, you don't need everything to be right. Sometimes no. that it's broken makes it more interesting than the fact that it would be right. Absolutely. And uh, this film, obviously, is, it's got a more through line to it. There's there's more of a narrative uh, through the film. But um, I think that, you know, the death of the free love ideal, the kind of ideas that they this, this generation had and kind of come to is the real strength of the film. That And, that's, and then Linda Manns' character kind of coming to terms with some really just fucked up stuff, and uh, you know it's 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 a great performance. The performances are all great in the film. It should all be said, great. they're all great. And uh, the film is very well made, and it should be more readily available than it is. Um, yeah, it's a shame. This should be. I'm telling you, this should be a criterion in my eyes. Yeah, it should. I mean, it's 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 one of those late. It's it's a, it's a late like we always talk about. It's that couple of years into the '80s, still '70s films being made, and this is very much a '70s film. Uh, it's very much about character and about people, and uh, it does have one major set piece in it. But I don't, you know, I mean, outside of it being a tragedy, it's not the important part of the film. It's, and that's really crazy when you think about it. But it's really only discussed in some 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 parts. But I really did. I mean, there's so many good moments, but I don't want to give it away because there's. I'm sure there's a lot of people that haven't seen this film. It's yeah. not as because it's not as readily available, and it's kind of overlooked. I personally think it's an overlooked film. Uh-huh. Um, 
and I think my score will tell you that uh, I really think people should pursue this one. And so that's why I don't want to give anything else away, but I'll kick it over to you. Cool. So, yeah, um, second hopper um, on the show, which we've said. Uh, it's just poignant for me because it deals with a child um, who is the, the child of a truck driver. Yep. But then again, you also get the sense the hopper kind of did whatever he could to make money. But my dad was a trucker and, you know, my parents were divorced. It certainly was my childhood wasn't as anywhere near as tumultuous as this. But, you know, inherently, when you see things that you can relate to, you relate to them. Um, I was going to quote a line that Hopper says in the truck. He asks something of man. I'm not going to get into it now, though, I think in retrospect. Yeah, um, exactly. For the sake of timing and so forth. Yeah. Uh, Love the shot of the truck, you know, the scrap truck and the leaves on it. And it's kind of like this shell of a truck and this shell of life at this point. It's a husk, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that stuff. And I think that, you know, man gets on there and she's in the CB and stuff. And Well, it's a, it's, it's kind of a representation of broken dreams. It know? absolutely is. It absolutely isn't of her father. It's um, it, it, it's the, the tangible remnants of a, of a past that can't be fixed and of her father. Right. Um, the film is really well shot. Really well shot. Yeah, it is. It looks great. It looks great. And it's edited in kind of like a freewheeling European type way, um, but not in a distracting manner. Like it, it, it's conventionally edited a lot of times, but it does have a bit of a European feel to it, which, you know, Hopper, you know, that, that comes from certainly Hopper's... Uh, background and also i think the, the some of the, the people involved in making the film are french canadian so yeah. um i think this is a film that you know it it has so many interesting stories my I, you know i love the broken dreams and small towns mm -hmm. stories and films like i think pursuing even the story about the mother and the what if it was like a restaurant or bowling alley restaurant or what it was with the guy that <clears throat> she's kind of shacked up with a little bit and he kind of knows that it's a temporary thing, and he, but he just he's lonely too. And you know, I think the mother—is it the mother or someone says? You know, there's two kinds of men in the world: there's the wild and sexy ones, and there's the providers. Right, right, right. What's kind of telling for her character? Um, but I think yeah, you could have. We could have. You could have had the man's character. You could have not even had a man's character. And man's is the is in a film full of great performances is the best performance. But I'm just saying, if you had have made a film that was about the uh, Sharon, Sharon Farrell. Yeah. If you had a film about her waiting for her husband to come out of prison, it, that would have been a great film in and of itself. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm -hmm. Not again, I'm happy. It, it is the movie it is because man's is tremendous in it, but it's such a good film with so many interesting stories that you can almost paint that picture in your head. Right. Right. Um, the performance from Mans is great because it's a real tightrope walk. I mean, she's a bit precocious and spunky, and those kind of performances can really great if they're not pulled off perfectly by uh, a young actor or actress. Yeah, the, those are, those are the type of uh, performances that you know when you hear people say that the kid really got on my nerves in the film. Mm -hmm. That if you know if it isn't hit just right, uh, that this would have been that type of performance. Yeah, it totally. And I still think it might be for some people. It might be. It might be for some. It depends on your your um, threshold or your spectrum. You know how you, the sliding scale of what's going to create on you or not. You know, she starts talking about Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious and Elvis, and and all these are you know this hero worship. It's inevitable when you're a teenager. You do have a, the sense of hero worship, or idol worship, but I think part of that comes in too with a child. Um, it becomes 
something uh, hero worship, um, but you know, in the sense of it's it's some it's a man worshiping a man to replace the absence of a father. Yeah, right, right. So, because we always put our, our fathers on pedestals, and if you your father's not there to put on a pedestal as much, you need to have something to to look up to, so it becomes celebrity, right? Right. Uh, men and celebrity men that we see that are, are more pervasive in our lives, be it through media, but at least there's a presence there. Um, I love the moment when Mans's character goes to the prison to see her father, and um, we really see this this eager desperation in, in her eyes, this anticipation. It's almost like she's this this energy. You know, she's just. Uh, it really is something that, you know, people talk about the eyes being the winner to your soul. I think Todd mentioned that recently with something, but it's the truth um, with a lot of things. And It's really interesting, it's, too. It's the one moment where she looks the most like a girl. Yeah. The, the, the guard is kind of down, and there's no front. It's, it is her very much vulnerable as a girl. Yeah, as a little girl. And that is a, uh, you know, um, Basically, she's very tomboyish throughout all of the movie, and it's mm-hmm. the one moment where she lets all that down. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, which yeah. is also interesting if you think about the end. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Kathy, the mother, very much a kind of a permed bundle of nerves, and again, a really great performance. Um, authentic locations, you know, the overgrown greenhouse, the weather-beaten kind of wooden fences, um, bowling alley. It, it's stuff that it really feels great. It feels. You know, it's it just it looks great. It just it it, it works. It's so authentic. Um, someone at one point does um, the milk and cigarettes combo, which is never good. Which I think we've talked <laughs> yeah. about that on the show before. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we <Ugh>. have. <laughs> Awful. Um, we get some trannies in this film, and you know, when she goes to the big city, it's. Uh, that's a really uncomfortable scene, man. That's awkward. It's like, oh, geez, I hope this isn't going darker than, you know. It's it was pretty awful. Yeah. Because that one, the one, I don't know if she was a tranny though. The one, a hooker, looks like she has Carol Kane between her legs, man. <laughs> she got a bush down there, brother. <laughs> like I said, I don't know if those paintings were crotchless, but the crotch wanted them to be. It was we, peeking out. Like we need a silver and gold moment for that. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> oh man. Um, and you know what's awesome is there's a moment she was like this kind of new wavy party, and the drummer for this band has these kind of proto Zubaz pants on. Yeah, that band is the Pointed Sticks, man. The Pointed Sticks, Canadian punk band. They should have been more popular than they were. Oh wow, I didn't know that. His stick yeah. was pointing out of those pants, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Pointed <laughs> Sticks, gotta look into them. Yeah, the Pointed Sticks. You know what this feels like to me, and it's. I think what year was Paris, Texas? Ooh, what year was that? Eighty, eighty-one, eighty-two. You keep talking. I'll let you know. Okay. It feels. I, I, my note was Hopper doing Paris, Texas, but in reality, I think this comes before Paris, Texas. But that would make an interesting double bill, which is ironic. So I was going to call Zamo because he hates Paris, Texas. It's like motherfucker, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it is similar in theme in a lot of ways to Paris, Texas, to me as well. It takes a few different roads, but it is very, very similar to yeah. Paris, Texas. It takes a very different road. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, 84. Okay, so 84. Paris, Texas, this is the precursor, but nonetheless, they're very similar films in a lot of ways. Um, 
all the characters in this are messy, which again, to come back to the thing, not, things can be broken and still work artistically. Everyone's messy and flawed in this. Yes. Um, yes. Zom, there's the one bigger girl out of a man's and her friends. She's got these really fucking high waisted jeans. And oh, yeah. I always, whenever I see those jeans, I always think those are the Zom cut. Because he always says the girls in high school and he was around more of those. Yeah. And they're not <laughs> flattering on a girl. No, they're not. But I, but I bet I see where he, you know, where he recalls that, like, you know, in a nostalgic way. Oh, yeah. I like the Zom bikinis with the high cut. With the long, it makes an ass look long. <laughs> yeah, because there's like a certain cut of jeans that I grew up with that girls always seemed hot in. But now, in retrospect. <laughs> looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. Might as well yeah. just call, might as well just call them uh, fucking uh, uh, cunt cutters or something. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Maybe that deserves one of these too. <laughs> the trumpet. <laughs> um, this this fart sound effect thing could get addictive. It's addictive, it is. Small town Indiana F sound effect. He says. Um, <laughs> I love all the shots of the seagulls. It's going to sound bizarre, but they work. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, they, they do. They do. They. Uh, well. Without getting too movie thing about it, I mean, I mean, seagulls are like uh, nat- another like the aquatic version of the rat, right? So, mm-hmm. which which does work though, right? Yeah, it does I mean, work. I mean, if you think about the through line of some of the people in the film, the desperation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of seagulls, the seager is on the soundtrack too. Yeah, yeah. That, I've often wondered if the reason why this film's hard to get out is maybe rights issues Music. or something. Yeah, because you got Neil Young, you got uh, Bob Seger, Silver Bullet Band. You got a couple more in there too. Um, I, you know, I can't remember now. Um, you know the the thing about this too. When the father gets home and the honeymoon's back over, and you know her parents are fighting, the scenes of her trying to occupy herself during these fights are you know pretty sad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. It's awful. You feel for her, man. It's rough. Mm-hmm. Um, Raymond Bird did the John Saxon sitting at the desk for one day thing. <laughs> yeah. He's just it's so weird. He just pops up in this movie. That is weird, man. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't have any more notes, actually, that I want to talk about right now. Yeah. Because I just feel like I don't want to re- show any hand that's going to reveal things. Yeah, yeah. This film isn't so well known that like we can give away too much, but there's like a really huge underlying thing to the film that... If we could yeah. talk about it, I think we'd get you know a lot more conversation out of it. But because, like I, think I say, it does detract from it can color someone's viewing in a way that I don't think a first viewing should be colored. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Good point. Good point. Uh, watch it. Watch out for the trumpet. There we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Zom over there now. Yeah. Uh, I know. Like ooh oh. <laughs> like, ooh, oh, ooh. Uh, <laughs> go, go. You hear him reviewing the film and I go, what was that? Oh, man. Something's, ooh, did, that, wow. did, did, did the microphone pick that up? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. He's not here, but he's here in spirit, like we said. Yeah. Uh, make or break for me is some of the man's discovery scenes. I really like those scenes a lot, even though I think the really great scenes in the film kind of involve man's and Hopper. Yes. Uh, two actors kind of really uh, knocking it out of the park. Um, again, I like the the whole through line there uh my mvt gotta go gotta go with hopper on this one both in front of the camera and even though man's is really the central focal point mm-hmm. this isn't my favorite man's thing um 
but I mean Hopper's just he's all over this thing. So he's really good in it, man. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard not to go with Hopper. Plus, you know, he directed the film as well, so it's kind of hard for me to not go with him. Uh, my score for this film, you ready? Mind equals blown. I'll give this a nine out of ten. Yeah, boy. I, I think Out of the Blue is a, a great film and needs to be seen by more people. And uh, hopefully, you know, we'll turn it on to at least you know a couple hundred more people that maybe haven't seen it and they definitely need to check it out. Nice. Very nice. Um, my make or break. It's funny because everything you talked about that could have been your choice was my choice. So <laughs> the father daughter scenes. Yes. Um, just the eagerness and for her, just the, the, the hunger, the desperation just to have that father around and, and, you know, she's, she's kind of survived through all this and she's spunky, but the vulnerability she lets peek through in those scenes really works well for me. Right. So in saying that my MVT is man's, it could have easily been Hopper. It could have easily, oh, sorry, what did you say your make or break scene was the scenes with, uh, what did you say? Um, her discovery, kind of like her, the, her going through the town. And yeah, yeah, that was great, man. That stuff was great too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, MVT instead of Hopper, it's man's. I think she just, she, you know, it's hard to pull off a, a you know, a, a young actor to pull off an, a, just a, an amazing performance mm-hmm. that feels mm-hmm. so that she's inhabiting that world and it's not just someone um, parroting dialogue. She does it so well. Um, my script film just a little bit lower than yours. It's a, whoa, the guy, I do have the Zom, man. I'm hiccuping <laughs> over here. And, um, it's an 8.5. It's, uh, and I think my score could go up, man. The more we're talking about this film, the, the more I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous film. I mean, everything in it feels so authentic and real and lived in. If you love Paris, Texas, I don't see how... I don't think this is as good a film as Paris, Texas. Let me just say that. I think I gave like a 9.5 to Paris, Texas or something. Right, right. But uh, I do feel like this film, if if the your problem with Paris, Texas was it was too long, this is, an, is 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it, this is a very good film and it's a, it's a crying shame that this isn't more readily available and widely known so um yeah everyone should check it out yeah the uh i think probably the best way to put it is uh, like it makes a great companion piece to paris texas yeah but it is interesting i would have loved to hear zom's the theory because i know he doesn't like paris texas but he does like this so it is interesting he just hates he hates the german filmmakers (laughs) he hates the german new wave Yeah. All right, we're going to take a uh, short break and come back and talk about uh, some French stuff, a 317th platoon. Uh, maybe I'll even do some French when we come back. We'll see. Sacre bleu. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is famous Hollywood producer, Robert Evans. You know, I've made a lot of powerful enemies during my time in Hollywood. Like the time I pushed Steve McQueen in front of a moving car on the set of The Getaway because he was macking on my lady, Ally McGraw. But I've made one great friend, a boffo friend, if you will, since I retired. It's called Show Show, and it's the best fucking movie podcast ever. It's even better than cocaine, which I would know a lot about. Visit Show Show at showshow.podomatic.com or search Show Show, all one word, in the iTunes store.
Cascata in discoteca con lo sguardo da serpente Io mi sono avvicinato, lei già non capiva niente L'ho guardata, ma guardato e mi sono scatenato Freda stera, il mio confronto era statico e imbranato Le ho sparato un bacio in bocca, uno di quelli che schiocca Sulla pista diavolata, lì per lì l'ho strapazzata L'ho lanciata, riafferrata, senza fiato l'ho lasciata Tra le braccia mi è cascata, era cotta innamorata Per i fianchi l'ho bloccata e mi ha fatto marmellata Oh yeah, si dice così no? E poi, e poi, che idea? Vale idea, vedi che lei non ci sta Che idea? Vale idea, maliziosa ma saprà tenere a bada un super bimbo bimbo come te E poi che avresti di speciale che in un altro no non c'è Che idea? Vale idea, non vedi che lei non ci sta Che idea? Vale idea Senza avere mai le cose che pretendi Scusa in fondo, scusa tu che dai All right, everybody, welcome back. That's our disco track of the week there, baby, from uh, one Greg. Yeah, Wax Mask. And Linda Manz's character would have fucking hated that. <laughs> she would have fucking said, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> she hated it. We loved it. But Bruno Cremer, he would have been like, fuck yeah. Yeah, that's my joint. <laughs> <laughs> Just need this and me a little lady on the side of the river. With no hair, like a teenager, you know what oh, I'm saying? No, it's so I kind of ironic that yeah, this is a <laughs> there's a stir, there's a disturbing through line through these two films. Yeah, jeez, <laughs> which might say a lot about our buddies. Huh? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so the uh, Le three seventeenth section. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it says three seventeen ma section. I don't know what that means. I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not uh, French. Let me just think. So, this week, this week, this week, this nineteen eighteen. I'm not. Fuck it. I'm not counting backwards in French on the air. <laughs> yeah. So in Vietnam, 1954, a French platoon isolated behind enemy lines tries to come back. It is led by the inexperienced, idealistic. Uh, well, Lieutenant Torrens, and by Adjutant Wilsdorf, a World War II veteran of the Wehrmacht. So, this film, uh, to be honest with you, never seen it before. Never even heard of it before. Never Zom, even heard of it. Yeah, so Zom awesome. kind of brought it to our attention. I'm going to defer to you. This is from, I don't think I said what yours from, 65, but it is a return to the show for one Bruno Cremer. So, I think I'm saying his last name right. I don't yeah, think, Bruno Cremer. Yeah, because yeah, I don't think it's Creamer. No, even, even though I would. That was his porn name. After I get done here, I'm going to have a little creamer, but it's not going to be the porn variety. <laughs> Ooh, man, I hope not. Anyway. Ooh, yeah, Jeez. no need for the, the fucking uh, wow. the chicken corn. The chicken, what is it? The chicken a la king? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it never gets old. Uh, no, no, it is addictive. Um, it really is, but uh, you, this don't, is you, a, you don't know how often I want to refer to a fart. <laughs> it's so sad. I know I'm with you, man. Um, but uh, <laughs> people listen to our. This is our first episode with these fucking idiots. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is their, first, their first episode. They're like you fucking childish bastards. Can't wait to see the reviews come in. Yeah, the farts and everything. Um, Raul could. Okay, so this is from a perspective that. Whoa! Reminder time. Yes rarely seen perspective um 
we as North Americans tend to see war films from the American perspective or from the British perspective, generally speaking. That's the, the, the large amount of war films we've seen. This is about the Indochina conflict, Vietnam and France, and um, it's 1965. And uh, it was a conflict that, you know, France at the time was had a lot going on. There was a stuff in Algeria, I think, uh, 20 years prior, and I'm, I won't certainly pretend to be anything beyond uh, very novice when it comes to understanding France's history in wartime. But um, I know that the Schorndorfer was actually a veteran of the Indochina stuff. Right. He was over there and he won an award for, I think the Oscar for best documentary for a film called The Anderson Platoon. Yes. So I know that. And then Raul Kutar was the, the DOP. He did a lot of work. I, I want to say for, for Time Magazine or Life. or I, he, he, Anyway, he was a celebrated DOP, certainly. And he did some photography as well, I believe. And yeah, it's that perspective we don't see. And I'm always excited to see war films about other countries and other perspectives because there's certain universal themes that will resonate um, regardless. Uh, because war is war, people are people. Um, you know, this is the, I think, the second or third war film we've done. Yeah. Uh, that, and I think none of the film. I don't correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't done any films from an American standpoint or from a, a British standpoint, have we? Uh, we haven't done a whole lot of war films anyway, so... Well, we did Inglorious Bastards, but <laughs> that's about as close as we got, I think. Yeah, that's more fantasy than anything, right? Fantasy, yeah. But, I mean, we did Come and See, we did Seven Beauties... This yeah, we that was Russian, Italian, and French. We seem yeah, we seem to. That's weird. That's we seem to. Well, some of those were picked for us, but we seem to only do. <laughs> it's weird. We seem to only do war films from a non North American perspective, which is interesting though, because I think as film fans, we can certainly we love. Uh, you know, I think most most people love war films because of theatricality and and the drama. But right. it's interesting to see that from the other perspective, the other side, how the other side lives. Well, we did. No, yeah, that's right. Well, Paz Glory is French too, technically. Oh yeah, that's right. So, it is. It is French. It is French. Yeah. That's very very much about the French. Uh, yeah, yeah, in World War One. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we've done anything from the American side. We may have. We've done. We talked about this not too long ago. We've done so much stuff that I sometimes forget what all we've done. Well, we have done a lot of. Um, we have done a lot of amazing 80s action films with Vietnam flashbacks <laughs> that were shot in California. <laughs> those, are, those are mostly motivators for, you know, yeah. for a grocery store uh, explosions. Yeah, yeah. or revenge of some kind. But, and we'll be doing a lot more of those films going forward. <laughs> fuck yeah. But yeah, we we haven't, you know, it's like a straight up American war film, even like a, a, like a pro-patriot Americana war film. We haven't done any of those type of films, really. No, I'm sitting, no there, I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I don't think we've done anything like that. I mean, I, I'm not going to say we never will, because I think we will, but... Yeah, and it was never a conscious thing, it's just the, the path we kind of went down. It's a genre I love, uh, oh, war yeah. films, because of what you just said, theatric, you know, the theatrical aspects and the all-or-nothing kind of... I mean, it, I mean, like they always say, what's the saying? Uh, nobody believes in God until you're in a foxhole, right? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, it's, all, it's, it's that the nature of war really lends itself to drama mm -hmm. and and heavy drama and it never and a lot of the themes that will resonate with with anyone right right be it family be it you know love be it anything you know so yeah yeah but it's it's, uh, it's a great theater for humanity war. yes 
So yes, and Cremer. Um, oh, so it's funny because remember last week I watched Shaitan and there was that whole reference to Vietnam and France, and now here we are, the French in Vietnam. <laughs> and speaking of Cassell, Bruno Cremer, another one of the great French noses of cinema, oh. along with Depardieu. Did they even have the greatest noses in cinema? They might have. They might have. Uh, yeah. Cremer really does have a great nose. I mean, yeah, he does. Yeah, Jesus, it's 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 such a character. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. the nose itself is a character. It is. Kramer's great in this film. He's, he's he really, really, really good in this film. Everything I've ever seen him in, which is only a handful of films, but just tremendous. Yeah. Just a real good... And I know he's one of Zom's favorites, yeah, and, and for good reason. And that's not to take away from uh, Jacques Terrain either, because he's really good in the film, too, I think. The film is very well acted, I think. Uniformly, it's quite good on the acting yeah. front. Uh, this... Um, yeah, no, it definitely is. They play off each other quite well, and it, but it never feels, um, because one's very much the wide-eyed idealist, the other one's sort of the cynical, um, been there, the cynical veteran, and, but it never feels like um, cliche or contrived or for anything's forced for dramatic purpose. It all feels very organic, and in fact, this film being shot in black and white and shot by people that have experience shooting wartime stuff from a documentary standpoint makes this film at times feel very documentary-like. It is very documentary-like. Uh, I've seen some of the Anderson platoon. Is that what mm -hmm. it's called? There's uh, actually, yeah. I've seen some of that, and it is very similar in tone to that documentary. That's crazy. Uh, I watched some of it on... It's on YouTube. I watched some of it on YouTube, uh, the Anderson platoon doc. Very, oh, wow. Very I wouldn't similar. mind checking that out. Yeah, check it out. I haven't watched it all the way. I want to watch it all, but I haven't watched it all yet. In a very French moment... Um, they're you know they're going through the jungle and and uh, one of the characters says weapons armed, total silence, no cigarettes. <laughs> the yeah. French are just known for their love of smoking, so that was kind of a funny, you know, way to reinforce the myth, guys. Yeah, these movies, man, both these movies this week made me want to start smoking again. Jesus, tell me about it. <laughs> um, yeah, any kind of newsreel footage and. You know, they get this. It's, you know, it's a pretty awful moment in the film, if in a good way. Like, I mean, it's horrific. Is when uh, I'm getting a lot of bleeping and blurting and all sorts of shit in my ears here. Um, Not hearing anything on this end, so that's good. That's good then. Um, but some of the black and white. Maybe, maybe one of these. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm gonna be doing that in about 50 minutes. So I'm gonna scramble off the air as I've been known to do. It's like I gotta go. Yeah. Oh, wait yeah. on. I wouldn't roll the dice on that at this point in the morning. I had a oh. banana and a cream cheese uh, wrap oh. so, and a coffee. So, yeah, it's going to be and that, that Bristol stool chart is going to be yeah. probably close to a number six, maybe a number five. I had a little KFC last night. So, you know, Ooh. that's, you know, today will be a little bit of this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be coming up greasy, man. Yeah, maybe I need to go with the, the ones that are titled Juicy. Here we go. Oh, it's gonna come out hot and fast, though. And it, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 it's fun. It's funny. We finally bring farts onto the show when we have two serious films. We can't do we it. Derail we derail them. <laughs> we, That's the way it goes. <laughs> we derail the serious reviews. But man, if this is fucking Strike Commando, there'd be no fucking farts on my show. Yeah, and fucking around. Yeah, but you no. Know, when they discover those bodies with the flashlight, it's just very stark. You yes, know, it, it it does a good job of 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 um of illustrating the stark horror of war. Yeah, without being like uh, uber Heavy violent, handed about yeah, it, or, right? or even uber violent, right? I mean, yeah. uh, like a lot of yeah. war films, uh, they show you the horrors in full detail. Yeah, this one, uh, like, there's scenes where just flies are on a body, and uh, man, they just really work for me. 
I think one of the most haunting scenes in this film is when he lays down next to that other soldier, mm-hmm. and they lay on that like uh, the Vietnamese type bed there, and he just got mm-hmm. done smoking some opium, and then when he wakes up the next day, that soldier's dead. Yeah, talk about fucking horrifying. The look on his face is classic. Yeah, it is. He wakes up next to a dead body, and this is a guy who sees death all the time. But this is a, you know one of his soldiers, his friends, so yeah, yeah, one of his guys. Um, but yeah, Cremer says he when he's done the conflict, he's been there for I don't know thirty thirty eight months or something. He, you know, talking, he's going to get a house by the river, and he says, "Yeah, I love, I love these women. They're pretty. They look like teenagers. No hair on their skin." Yeah, like that line would not be in a film today. It's disturbing. Obviously, Cremer likes them young. Yeah, yeah, he apparently does, man. Uh, and you know what I like is the fact that they call a fucking rocket launcher a potato launcher, yeah. which is more akin to what you see with the Turkish Rambo. Yes, exactly. Speaking of which, my son's got a, a cannonball, like a, a Captain Hook hand, because the Jake and the Nirvana Pirates. This is tied in, I promise. And when the hand detaches, it's like Mr. Han. It's got like three or four different hand attachments. Nice. And one of them is a it's a shoots cannons, which are like little foam balls. Mm-hmm. But I said to my buddy Eric last night, I said, "Man, I said this is like Turkish Rambo. Like you almost have to throw it out because if you just press the button, it just kind of plops out." <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. So you got to do the Turkish Rambo thing of kind of, you know, shoot, throw it out, <laughs> right? So momentum. But yeah, the, these potato launchers that the French had in this were better. We might need to repost the Turkish Rambo YouTube clip. Yeah, I think we should. It's been a long time we since we talked about that. Yeah, we sh- it's been a long time. We shouldn't have left them without a dope. Oh, I fucked that line up. Never mind. I'm going to move on. Uh, but yeah, even the shots of uh, the faces, and this feels very documentary-like, and they, they don't feel cinematic, and that's not, I don't mean that as a detractor, as a detraction to the film, or to the detriment of the film. It does feel real in a lot of ways, which is, which is to its benefit. It's, you know, the dialogue is short, it's direct, it's men with no time for flowery exposition. This is the almost the antithesis of of Malikian uh, war uh, on film. Right, right. Um, Man, had some stuff stuck caught in my throat there. Oh, yeah, not what you think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I love the uh, the three men. There's there's a line when they're talking about carrying some bodies and the guy goes, choose three men, the least tired. And it's like, you know, it just, it's that thing of, of conveying all of us, everyone's tired, everyone's beaten up, everyone is just fucking at the wall, you know. And it, it's an obvious thing, but sometimes when you hear line like that, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Like, these guys have been getting three hours sleep, which hasn't even been, you know, deep sleep. They've been in the rain, you know, it's it's just one of those things, right? The horrors of war. Right, right. Um, one of the Vietnamese soldiers that's with them... One of the guys that dies. God, he looked so young. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm, la- I'm sorry I'm laughing, but I just found the uh, Turkish Rambo rocket launcher thing, and I am oh, putting great. it on Facebook right now. <laughs> Incredible. Good stuff. Good stuff. But yeah, if uh, if your boy, uh, who I won't name on air, if he's into Jake, there's some really good Jake toys for good prices, man. Like the swords and... Oh, you're talking about Jake? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm, man, I'm, I'm telling son, you. He doesn't love Jake, but he likes him. Yeah, like, you know, it's, there's some good stuff, man. My son's a runner around the house with spy glasses, and, you know, it's like I'm always Captain Hook, though. So I was kind of excited because I got some new gear last night, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. For both the playing with the boy and playing with the wife. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to make a catcher's mid joke right now. <laughs> it's like my kid's toys. 
Um, but uh, oh, but the boy in this, um, one of the soldiers that's with them, he he looks so young. I mean, he looks about 12 to 14 years old. And there's like, they're giving him a cigarette. And it's so sad when you see that. And you see like, it's sort of like the dying wish is to have a cigarette. And there's a few moments in this one. It's like, oh, I, I give him a cigarette. And it's just like, man, it's almost like the the, the death knell. Yes. Yeah, it's just pretty yeah. awful. Yeah. And it's it's awful because there's a moment when the guy's almost dead, man. He can't even barely hold a cigarette. And the cigarette, like, drops on his neck. Yeah. And it's just, oh, man. It just, that, that little thing, that little thing of the cigarette dropping on his neck. And they don't make a big thing of it, but it just, it really is heartbreaking. <laughs> and, and I just went to our Facebook page to make sure it posted. And Paul just posted, can someone please explain to me why Gary Busey didn't win an Oscar for surviving the game? <laughs> nice. 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 Um, his uh, scared bros post is pretty good. People that aren't on Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah, that is Facebook. good. I was looking for people I know because that's in Niagara Falls. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, oh, another line from Camara. What a pretty valley! In two to three weeks, the trees will be red. You know, and it's not said in, in like an operatic way. It's just uh, very, very matter of fact, as all this film is. And you know, he says things like the target justifies the casualties, um, and. It's one of those things, it's rhetoric, it's kind of wartime rhetoric, but he's been long enough to know that it's going to play out like that because the war machine, that's the way the war machine plays it out. Yes. So that's kind of like, it's a numbers game, right? War is a business and it's industry and it's a numbers game and, you know, XYZ lost lives. I mean, it's, you know, everything's, the numbers have been crunched, right? Right, right. Um. You know, Wilsdorf, I like the, the in this film, you know, you get some films where you have two opposing forces and philosophies, and they're very much on the other side of the spectrum. But if, Wilsdorf, to me, is more of a realist. He's not a villain at all. And um, the other gentleman, I can't remember his name, he's just more of a wide-eyed, kind of naive, well-intentioned young man. And I like that they're never played against each other, really. Like, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a few moments that kind of have some disagreements. But it's it just feels very organic. It just feels like... Authentic, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, I totally agree. Uh, I, I sound like a fucking monkey on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the platoon seem natural. Just their their um, inter really the relationships, their interaction with each other. Um, it, again, it feels authentic. Feels lived in. Because oh, a lot of times you get the stock, you get the guy. You know the Hick from Alabama, the Italian or the Jewish guy from the from Brooklyn. You know the black guy from here. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get your stock, but this feat felt real again. It felt very authentic, and just their their relationships felt. I don't know if they spent like a month, uh, you know, together beforehand, but it, it felt very comfortable. Right. I, you know, it's, it's a good point. I, I like the not only the documentary feel of the film, but I like the way that things seem like they happen naturally in the film like yes the, the rain to thrust it forward <clears throat> the rain too like the rain comes and goes mm-hmm. and it never feels like it's it's not like one of those scenes where you know like directors are trying to mix and match rain shots that's right that's right it just kind of comes and they just keep acting in the rain like you normally mm-hmm. would i mean if you're if you're in the jungle there's no shelter from the rain fuck you just gotta you know you just gotta keep going yeah it's so funny you have the fart sound effects because there is a moment in this where someone gets far- their face farted in. Yes. A real squeaker, if you will. Yeah. It's great. You know, inevitably when you get guys around each other for an extended period of time, someone's face is getting farted in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's always a it's always a good day. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, <laughs> and by that I'm being facetious. I mean not a good day. To be well, if you're the farter, it is. If you're the farty, it's not. <laughs> yes, the farty. Well, I don't know if farty is a word, but <laughs> yeah. Hey man, let's have a farty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could, man. Some of the stuff we eat, some of the stuff Loaf eats. Jesus, I wouldn't want one to be Dutch oven by Loaf. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that Terrible. hotel room horror hound two years ago. <laughs> White snake, more like brown snake. <laughs> oh man, gotta bring. It, uh, I gotta bring it back, man. Hang on. Yeah, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of shaking going yeah. on. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, that would have been the steamy one. Yeah, little steamy there. Oh, yeah. It's getting messy. It's got us to stop rolling the dice, man. <laughs> yeah. It isn't going to end well for your cotton. Yeah. It's going to be the yellow liquids. I don't know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Campbell's soup. Yeah. One of my favorite posts from this past tour house when he posted that picture of you, and you're like, if you guys see this guy and he offers you a drink, walk the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hang on one second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, somebody's up. Come here, honey. Let me take the earphones off for a minute. <clears throat> and I'm going to turn the microphone so you can say hi to Sam. Hang on one sec, okay, honey? You haven't been on the show in a while. Are you there, Rick? Yes. I am here. Mommy said I could come down. <clears throat> Did she? Yes. So say, say hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. What are you playing with? Ninja Turtles. I got the blue one. And his nice. name's Leonardo. That was Daddy's favorite. Nice. You gotta put a sword in the other way. <laughs> the sword goes in the other way. Daddy's just talking about a movie with his friend. He's gonna be done in a minute. I'm really glad you got to come on, honey. I haven't you haven't been on the show in a while. Because we're always recording when you're asleep. Yes. Right? Yes. Bad. This is what Daddy does. He tiptoes out of bed really early with his friend. And we go on the show. What's up? <laughs> All right, honey, I'm gonna be honest. Sam. Yeah. I was saying what? I was listening to a show. Getting, do you know why I don't? I get the heck out here. Oh yeah. What were we watching? Was that in Rio? I don't know. There's a line in the film where the guy goes, "You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna get the heck out of here." <laughs> so I always say that to William now. Yeah. Daddy's uh, gonna You can sit here if you want quietly, honey, because we're gonna be done in a few minutes anyway. Okay. Daddy's gonna put his earphones on. All right, honey. I love you. Okay. Yes. So, what's that? Okay. That's almost a creepy moment when you say daddy tips those out of bed early to talk to his friend. Oh, With yeah. his friend to talk about movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh. No, no kidding, man. Um, there's almost no music in the film? Uh, yeah, there isn't. I mean, it, it is very, it, it feels, I mean, if, if I told somebody it was a documentary outside of the editing, you would think it was. Yeah, it does give that. It does have that feel. Those are actually all my notes. Yeah, I'll, like I said, I'll honestly say I never started, saw this film or even heard of it or even knew anything about the director. So this is all new to me. So I, this is always fun when we get a film that uh, somebody turns us on to that we don't know anything about. I like that. Like Sam, we'll try to finish up that the uh, the Anderson Platoon documentary, but uh, really love it. We also get the return of the Rank Organization at the beginning of the thing. So it's good to see oh, the yeah. Gong Man back in the show. Sure, gong Man. I do like that, you know, this kind of the, the themes of war here, the base nature, 
the need for it and there'll always be war as long as there's a belief as long as somebody has a belief somewhere there'll always be wars and you're never going to avoid them so things to gain yeah, yeah there's always something so you can't i mean it's it's a great thought to think that there's there'll never be a war and there'll never be this type of thing but there's always going to be somebody that wants something mm-hmm. and sadly that's what you know war comes from more than anything and people will take it which is where the force you know yeah uh, I do like uh, Kramer in this film a lot. He Kramer. He uh, he has such a great look, and uh, that character of you know the nose and and he his eyes too. You know he's got these great eyes as well. He just really looks great in this film, and and he's got these great stories in this film. Yeah, a lot of them again that just feel they feel authentic. That his delivery of them feels authentic. It's a really great performance. I mean, it's like these moments where like everything just stops, and you're like hypnotized by these stories. And I love that in cinema when an actor can do that. Mm-hmm. When they, they can have just, a gravitas, right? That's rare. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost almost like mesmerizing, you know. Um, but yeah, that no hair like teenagers and they look like teenagers. Uh, you know, France is known for a different take on that kind of behavior, a little bit maybe than America. But Jesus, <laughs> man, no, I'm not saying anything bad about the French. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, European sensibilities about sexuality <clears throat> a little different, especially in this time period. But. Uh, you know, American now. You know, it's 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 you know. <laughs> again, it's one of those lines where it would not be in cinema today. Yeah. If it was, it'd definitely be the bad guy saying it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but I, I do think that the documentary feel helps the film a lot. It keeps it pacey, mm-hmm. uh, keeps it moving along and stuff, and and also like the kind of bittersweet nature of the film. There's some kind of bittersweet moments that I really liked and. Uh, that I kind of want you know again we're saying we wish John was here but I did want to talk to John about it a little bit what do you, what do you like so much about this because I know he loves this movie and I kind of wanted to see what he really loved about it so much but you know I, I got knowing John I, you know we call him John now but I mean knowing Zom as we call him on the show I, I think I know a lot of what he likes about the film but I would have loved to have discussed that with him on the show yeah it is a bummer because I did want to ask him why he picked each film yeah to hear it in his own words and maybe he can send us since he's too big for us now, maybe he can send us in a, a voicemail um, just outlining why he picked each film. Right. Or explain on Facebook, whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do like how this film ends as well. And it feels like a small chapter in a big story. Yes, that's, and, a good, that's well said. And it, it really is an interesting chapter in this gigantic story of stuff that happened in Vietnam and stuff. And it, it's 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 a fascinating little film, i got to say. I mean, it's, it's one of those ones. It's like... Uh, uh, well, it's kind of like Seven Beauties or something like that in a way that these type of war films that I've never heard of really or never even thought to look for, and then I get turned on to them, and, and uh, it's really great because I do love the uh, the genre. <laughs> he, I guess he can't hear me, can he? No, I turned it back down to <laughs> you in case you heard an echo. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, I did hear an echo a minute ago. But, uh, yeah, no, that's all my notes. I mean, uh, I think you hit a lot of it on the head and stuff, but I think this is a, a great film. I don't know if it's completely readily available or not uh i think it is on amazon i think you can buy it but i'm not positive uh i've been i've been asked to ask you or to tell you that you should come visit us so you can have a turn with williams ninja turtle yes i'll do that yeah, I'm, maybe I'm, William, I'm maybe trying to William. I'm trying to work that out for next year. So hey william maybe maybe sam and his wife and their son can come and you guys can play yeah. would you like that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's a shame. This one, again, I'm glad that he picked two films that I think 
a lot of times when people pick films for our show, I know Davey, uh, yeah. Davey M will say from Texas, um, he, you know, with the two films he picked, a lot of times, you know, you, you're picking films, just like we do on the show, we're trying to champion films to get them a little more profile. Yes. I feel like maybe that's what John was doing. I think so too. I think that's basically what his main goal was, is to really, you know, kind of champion this and kind of get it out there. And, and, you know, that's part of the fun of being a podcaster is sometimes you can turn, even if it's only 10 people onto another movie, uh, you know, a movie they may not have looked for otherwise or a film they may not have even known about, then, you know, right. you're doing, you're doing it for the good because we all love cinema, right? So that's right, man. You're getting that love out there. So it's the superhero moment of being a podcaster. Yeah, definitely. definitely. But yeah. That's all my notes. Like say, so you make or breaks, make or break, just the exchanges with the two leads. Um, you know, everything feels organic. Never felt like it's they're put on display or on parade. You know, it's just two guys talking. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, MVT is the screenplay. Um, I think it works perfectly. Again, it just feels just very authentic. And my score for the film is a 7.5 out of 10. It's a really good little film. Nice. Um, I'm glad we uh, we covered it. And the more I talked about it, the more I liked it. I could see my score going up as uh, as we went here. Um you know, it's it's a solid, solid film all across the board, man. It's and it's not again, it's not long. It's about ninety minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's interesting to see uh, another perspective uh, from you know on the war front. Indeed, uh, my make or break, uh, yeah, the the Kramer stories. I really love those. Uh, they're just great. I mean, you know, the mesmerizing moments. One of those great moments in cinema where everything just kind of stops and you get the story. Similar to like something uh, to kind of give you a, an idea. It's like it's like like uh, probably the most famous cinematic story ever told I guess would be the Indianapolis story right from Jaws mm-hmm. it's like a moment where the film stops being about a shark and starts being about people yeah, and it's just like, that is my favorite moment in the film. Uh, yeah I mean if we ever did Jaws which we probably never will but we might I can already tell you that's the make or break in Jaws oh yeah <laughs> easily oh, the make or break moment in Jaws I think almost everybody would agree though yeah. uh, MVT for this one Kramer himself he's just so charismatic man he's so I couldn't remember the filmmaker because I do think this is an achievement a very nice and taut film, um, but uh, I, I really like Kramer in this, and I just don't know if I'm going to have a lot of opportunities to give him MVT. So yeah, because he is a great actor. Yeah. So, and my score is a little bit higher than yours. It's an eight out of ten. I think nice. this is a great war film. I think people should seek it out. I want to bump mine up to a seven seven five. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I had a feeling you'd probably be on the same page with me on this one because it's, it, it, it. And John kind of knows us. He knows us well. Uh, we've been friends with him now for a while, and. Uh, I think he, you know, he picked a couple films that, you know, he feels that, you know, we would have appreciated, and I think he's right. And if he'd have been here, I'd have said, you did a good job, motherfucker. Oh, I just put the speaker, I just oh. put the headphones in William's ear. Did that work okay, William? Classic GGTMC moment. Sorry, man. Reco- <laughs> recorded on air. Whoops. Uh, I should have announced it, but... And now he's an ironic. He's got the Turkish Rambo Captain Hook cannon on his head. Yes, it does. It sounds better than the Turkish Rambo sound effect, though. Nice. <laughs> which is which? Somebody already on our Facebook group has posted "fump." Yeah, fump. Is, is Daddy going to use that later? <laughs> yeah, old feather hat, Daddy. Yes. Um, All right. So, uh, do you want to do pleasantries? Another one too. I don't know if I have time. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Well. <laughs> We uh, we will say uh, that uh, thanks, John or Zom, for the uh, picking of the uh, films programming the show this week. Uh, shame he couldn't be on. 
Uh, I'm going to guess that he probably had to work or something. He did say there was a possibility that he might not be able to do it. So I'm just going to say that that was the case. If not, I hope he's well. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it sounds all morbid all of a sudden. But I hope he's, uh, you know, doing okay and stuff. And we'll get him on another time for something else. Oh, we, we definitely will. <laughs> definitely will. I'll give him one of these in, in tribute maybe. There we go. So. <laughs> hey, William. Do a, do a good one for William. Hang on. Come here, William. Come here. I'll try. Ready? Here we go. Listen, I'll tell you what. There we go. <laughs> Ooh, what was that? Do one more. One more, Sam. One more? Okay, hang on. There we go. Ooh, he's got gas. He's, yeah. he's going to poop yeah. his pants, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kentucky Fried, baby. Kentucky Fried. <laughs> all right, so uh, next week we'll be back with uh, Thomas Jane. Now, hopefully that all works out. We got his schedule. That was funny. <laughs> it was funny. I <laughs> think so, too. Yeah. What's funny is, is I'm almost 40 years old, and I still laugh at it. Yeah. That's the fun of being a that boy. That was so funny. <laughs> Can I hear one? Oh, hey. Oh. <laughs> that was a juicy one there. Yeah. All right. So uh, hopefully the Thomas Jane thing will go through. Thomas? <laughs> Does his son like Thomas? Yes, he loves Thomas. Does he know what he likes to say? Stinky steamies. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> Stinky steamies. All right, so uh, yeah, that'll be everything, and like I say, hopefully Thomas Jane next week, and we'll get that going, and that that'll be that. And uh, until then, I'll say adios. Well, you missed your turn. What do you guys say? <laughs> adios. Yeah. I will say adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 